Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Everybody, welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by both my compatriots on the ones and twos, Mr. Trey Reeves. Hey, Trey. Hey, we are back in Dallas. It has been a lot of driving for me the last couple of days. I am really happy to be here with you guys, sitting in my own home, not driving across desolate parts of texas are driving to houston so we are really happy to be back in the 214 and hanging out with you guys tonight yeah beating up that i-45 corridor um, and 287 and all the all the texas highways we have seen miles and miles of texas this week hey what we do for family right uh gotta love it also of course with us mr garrett Turney. garrett what's going on man and not too bad. I was not out of town. I was just hanging out. Another good day in the 817. So, uh, yeah. How are you guys doing? Good, man. It continues to be scorching hot here in the Metroplex. Windy as well. My goodness. We just cannot catch a break from that. That was oh, yeah. the best part about having to drive all that. It was 50 degrees where I woke up yesterday morning outside of Buena Vista, Colorado. So, I'm going to yeah. flex on that a little bit. I just had to drive 13 hours to get there. But... <laughs> 50 degrees waking up was a really nice surprise in the middle of June. I bet. And, uh, you know, obviously we recorded our new conference alignment podcast while you were out. Uh, Trey, you're going to not only hop back on the mic tonight, uh, but also coming up, Garrett's about to take his vacation. So uh, the carousel is fully rotational here in the three tech family. You know what we talked about? Uh, audience members in different locations that we were going to. Trey, you had mentioned there was a Fort Collins listener. There was, I don't know how they found us in this perfect timing. There was a listener or two up in Kalispell. I saw that in our geographical data. So shout out to you, Kalispell, Montana. I love your town. Kalispell and Whitefish. That's where I went uh, on vacation a couple weeks ago. It was just a fantastic time. So shout out to Kalispell, Montana uh, for the support. Shout out for playing fantastic hosts. The weather was fantastic. The golf was amazing. The food, immaculate. So uh, thank you guys for for playing great hosts. And uh, Garrett, you're you're getting ready to go uh, down to the beach a little bit, maybe in SEC country, right? Oh, yes. No, we're heading Gulf Shores here in about a week. So uh, not going to be very cold where I'm waking up, no. but, uh, you know, nice and breezy and lots of time in the sun. And 
I'll get one of my famous sunburns and it'll be great. It's true. That's true. Deep cut there. Uh, Garrett, his sunburns. That is a tradition unlike any other. Speaking (laughs) of a tradition like any other, mentioning the housekeeping on this podcast. Again, you guys continue to support us uh, and listen far and wide from shore to shore, from sea to shining sea. Thank you guys for that. A couple of requests for you as a new podcast, we really appreciate all your likes, your support on social media, your reviews and downloads of the podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can find us on our social channels at 3TechPod, Instagram and Twitter. Go over and drop us a follow if you would. Uh, we're on the march to 100 followers on both Instagram and Twitter and would love to get there. We'll be doing a giveaway when we do. You can also write in your thoughts on the podcast if you so choose to our Gmail, 3techpod at gmail.com. With that out of the way, fellas, let's get down to business. He believed that this time his expectations would align with reality. So today's episode is all about programs that we feel like in 2022 are teetering on the edge of expectation. And I feel like this is a crucial season for these six programs that we're going to outline. Each of us kind of took two that we dove into, looked at their case. Some of them are, are very positive cases. Some of them potentially very negative cases. But really the point of this episode is to kind of identify, hey, you know, you're on the edge, right? And, and and with a shove one way or the other, it could be amazing for this program and fan base in 2022, or it could be quite disastrous and, and disappointing. You know, Garrett, you're first up on our on our run sheet here, and we'll sprinkle, you know, the order around, but the Utah Utes uh, leading us off here, make the case for Utah and why they're a program teetering on the edge of expectations for you here. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast for a few episodes now, you know that I am just slamming the Utah Utes drum here, but I will continue to give them a little extra runtime. Um, look, when we went through this and we thought, okay, what programs are right there on the edge? I didn't think of teams that were, you know, kind of middle of the pack, maybe trying to become a good program or teams that were just kind of getting started and needed to finally make a jump to bowl eligibility. I thought, what is that team who's right there? And with a little bit more help, could be a national power. And to me, Utah was the first team that jumped off the map. Uh, first thing I'm going to say is the Utes are getting slept on uh, just because Lincoln Riley bought a home in Southern California. Um, or three. I, I, or three. You know, he's <laughs> he's doing okay for himself. Um, I, I get it. The USC, traditional power, and they got a really good head coach. I think they're going to be very good. But that doesn't take away from Utah's program. And I think a lot of people are forgetting that they even exist in the Pac-12 because they, you know, they're, they're not one of those bigger, more traditional powerhouse programs. Um, but let's not pretend this isn't a great team with some great ability. I highlighted a couple players here um, for why I think that this is a really good squad. Um, first one I'm talking about, Tavian Thomas, their star running back. He is the truth. Um, in a non-running conference, this guy is an effective workhorse. Uh, if he played, you know, you could take him to the SEC or the Big Ten, and this guy could still put up huge numbers. Um, he ended up 37th in rushing yards and third in touchdowns, but had so many fewer carries than the guys in front of him. Um, and, and when you looked at it on a per-carry basis, he should have been top 15 when it comes to running backs. 
he, this guy's the best player on their offense. He's got elite vision. He's a good jump cut back. He's kind of a start-stop guy with great speed, especially on that top end. Uh, this guy is a great NFL running back, uh, and he's going to make an NFL team very happy. <clears throat> and then Cam Rising as well. Uh, I'm looking at this guy saying that he is a better quarterback than lots of people give him credit for. This guy finished sixth in QBR last year. Uh, he's up there with the company of C.J. Stroud, uh, Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett, Caleb Williams. These are the guys that finished ahead of him, right? He, he's up there. He had 63.8% completions, a 20 to 5 touchdown interception ratio. He's not necessarily a stats off the chart type of guy, but he's not a game manager either. This guy can really play. This guy can ball. He can sling it. Uh, and he's not going to have an issue coming up with offense in the Pac-12, right? They don't play defense at a crazy high level consistently in the Pac-12. Um, that's just not their MO as a conference. Um, and, and my issue here is, so I'm looking at the Utah and I'm saying, with these talented players, why are people writing them off? Well, you got to go back and you got to look at some of their record. You got to think about where they're coming from. Last few years, uh, let's start, I'm going to start in 2018. They had a record of 9-5 and five that year and then lost the Holiday Bowl. <clears throat> they went 11-3 and three the following year and then lost the Alamo Bowl. They had the COVID year, three and two. That's a COVID year. We can let that be an anomaly. And then last year, 10 and four, they had big wins over, you know, I think they played Oregon one, big wins, but then losing the Rose Bowl, right? So this is a program that I'm looking at saying they haven't been able to make that last step to win the big bowl game and to return to kind of a, a prominent point from where they are in their conference. They can win games in their conference. That's not a question here. Uh, for them, a little bit, of better performance, a little bit better execution, plus maybe a better resume. I think this year gets them in the playoffs and brings them into national prominence where they can recruit at a really, really high level. But if they don't reach those expectations, if USC jumps on them, if Oregon jumps on them, it could be a really, really, really rough next couple of years for the Utes, especially as we're starting to get rid of divisions. They are now not thinking, got to win the South. They're thinking, I got to be better than Oregon better than USC, better than, you know, if Washington figures out what they're doing, you know, that's, that's kind of where they are. So it's going to be an interesting couple of years. This year is very critical for them. I expect them to play well. I expect them to have a really good season, but this is one of those teams that could go either way. So I don't want to be known as the guy that hates Utah. And I feel like every time I come <laughs> on here and you guys talk about Utah, and I think both of y'all are way higher on the Utes than I am. Are they going to win 10 games in the Pac-12? Probably, because the Pac-12 just doesn't have a lot of teams that are going to put up a lot of fight. Like you said, they don't have a scary... There's not a lot of scary defenses out West. There's not a lot of really teams that you would put ahead of Utah. But are they going to drop one or two games that they shouldn't? Probably, because... They just that's just kind of who they are. And I don't think it's Ooh. wrong to look wow. at Utah. That, that that's there's nothing wrong with being a team that goes ten and two and competes for the Rose Bowl. But Garrett, <laughs> you think you think that a team that hasn't signed a class higher than thirty in the last five years is going to go to the college football playoff. I just don't see that. Like I it's it would be a great story and it would be a great breakthrough, but it would be a precedent breaking situation if they were to make the playoff. And Sorry. I'm all for it. I want them. I want Utah to be able to make the playoff. Like, don't hear what I'm not saying. I would love if they broke that precedent 
it would give a lot of teams a lot of hope that they could do the same thing that Utah did. But there's a reason that teams with the recruiting rankings that Utah has have not made the playoff and have not competed at that level. Are they going to be like the best of that next tier? Probably, maybe. Can they win a lot of games and go to a really good bowl game? Absolutely. Can they compete for a national title and go to the playoff? I just don't think that they're ready for that yet. Usually the recruiting precedes that. And we just haven't seen Utah bring in the talent that I think they need to compete on that national stage. Well, I'll say, first of all, Cincinnati is on line one. (laughs) Not exactly a recruiting powerhouse before they made the playoff. Sure. Sure. But who, but, who has a tougher schedule, Utah or Cincinnati? I know Cincinnati went in and beat Notre Dame and Indiana, but well, they're not playing a Power yeah. 5 schedule every week. Utah's, See, that's, Utah's that's schedule isn't exactly – we can get to it in a second. Utah's schedule isn't exactly knee-shaking, um, but Garrett, go ahead, and then then we'll look at their schedule. Well, so And what I'm saying is, is – I was actually going to jump into their schedule a little bit, but I think this is why we're saying that they're on the edge of the expectations, right? Yeah. We're saying that they're right on the edge. They're not there. Um, and I think that the next big step for their program is just bringing in more talented guys. I think that's the point is they can do plenty with the guys they've got. You know, Whittingham is definitely a coach who can coach the guys up that he has and find ways to put guys in good positions. Um, but that's the point is they need more talented guys. With a good season here, I'm looking at some of their schedule. They start off with Florida. If they go into the swamp and make a statement to a new Florida team, you know, they're breaking in a new head coach. They didn't necessarily have the best season last year. They could make some noise right there in a big statement win. They have Southern Utah. That should be easy. San Diego State. That's not nobody, right? They should be able to win that game, though. They're looking at a regular slate of Arizona State, Oregon State, UCLA. They get USC at home this year. Yep. <clears throat> I'm looking at it. Their toughest game is probably at Oregon late in the season. They dropped that one. I mean, you could still be looking at an 11-1. and one, you know, And then a rematch against two. Oregon. Yeah, and they could rematch Oregon. And so, you know, it, and that's not to discount that they just beat them twice last year. So, you know, they let's say, let's play this out for a second. Let's say that Utah runs the gauntlet here, which isn't outside the realm of possibility. USC at home should give them an advantage. Florida, yeah, that's on the road, but it's early, new coach. Let's just say they run the gauntlet. You're telling me they run the gauntlet, obviously they're getting in the playoff. If you're an undefeated or, you know, even of a course, one loss. yeah. You know, play. But that gives them exposure that I think tells kids, wait, hold on, Utah made the playoff? Okay, I got to see this, right? I got I to gotta see what's going on over there. And then the kids in high school that are more of those elite tier guys start making visits, and they can take the program to the next level. If they don't do that, let's say they drop the game to Florida. Let's say they drop the game to USC. They drop the game to Oregon. They don't show up in their conference championship game. They get a mid-tier bowl game and maybe even lose that. This is where they fall off and become forgotten again. Yeah, and I just think Utah is in such an interesting place, both geographically and, like you're saying, they're on the. They're, that's why we're talking about them on this episode. They're on the cusp mm-hmm. of they could go either way. But the reason that we haven't seen them run the table, I think, is going to be the reason that they don't run the table this year. I think what's different about that schedule that you just outlined that what's different from the last couple of years? Like they, they're playing the same division. They're playing maybe one tough out of conference game. They used to play. I don't know why they're not playing. They're not playing BYU 
No, they're not. That's interesting. I was looking at BYU's schedule earlier and was surprised that I didn't see that. You'd think that would be a easy game to get on the schedule, but um, no idea what's going on there. But, you know, BYU or a Power 5 team and then a couple of Mountain West or that tier program. So if if Utah is ready to take or has been, what's changed, I guess, is my question. Like, they're not bringing in more talent. They didn't change coaches. They're not changing scheme. They didn't get an easier schedule. I guess that's my that's my cause for pause for Utah. I think, are they going to be a great team this year in their circumstances? Absolutely. Are they probably going to win 10 games? They've built a machine that all they do is win 10 games in the Pac-12 South. So, yeah, absolutely. Can they take that next step? There's just so much stacked against them that I don't think I'm ready to say that just yet. I So, I've been... I've been certainly in between y'all on the hype train for Utah. I haven't been team Utah to the playoff, but I've also been more optimistic than Trey has. But I think I'm, you know, it's 10 games. Is saying they're going to win 10 games pessimistic? Like, why is that pessimistic for you? Because I look at their their schedule. Could they lose two games? Could they lose three games? Yeah. I think nine and three is their absolute floor. That's if they lose to Florida. That's if they lose to USC, and that's if they lose to Oregon. Now, could somebody you know spring an upset? Sure, it's college football. The way I look at it, Utah. I, I mean, I'm gonna first our first ever lock of the podcast. Utah will go to the swamp and win that game week one. I, oh, sure. I'm I'm not high on Florida. Not in year one. I think Billy Napier was a great hire. I love what he's going to do recruiting. I love what he's going to do building both sides of of the line for that team. But Florida is not a year one program. There's a reason that some people are projecting them to be five and seven, six and six uh, in year one at Billy Napier. There's just so much for them to overcome. So I don't think that's a super hot take, but I'm going to go ahead and lock it up. Give me Utah on the road in the swamp at 107 degrees and 100% humidity. But then you look at the rest of the schedule, they should be 6-0 and going into that USC game. And as I've made it pretty clear, I'm not high on the Trojans this year. I think USC could be a 7-5 and team if, you know, in a worst-case scenario where you have a bunch of guys, you know, basically too many cooks in the kitchen where you know, right. I tweeted something out that made it on another podcast um, with that exact take that, look, there's so many personalities and – you know, stars in this new USC locker room with a new shiny head coach. And there's so many expectations by the national media that I could see this thing going sideways in, uh, in SoCo very, very easily after USC. I mean, Arizona is maybe a resurgent team this year. I like their chances to be better than what a two win team last year, but they're not going to upset Utah. Stanford's been poor to say the least offensively. Colorado was like the worst offensively they've ever been in program history last season. Right. So I just don't see another spot that, that Utah loses. If they don't lose to USC, if they don't lose to Oregon, I absolutely think the ceiling is 12-0. and 0. Then they've got to do it again in the in the Pac-12 championship game. But I've got to say, as, as you know, I continue to look at this and hear both sides like, Dude, I might be dipping my toe in Utah as the as the three or four seed right now, and I am a little bit scared to dive into that swimming pool. Listen, is well, there I'm a path? Move. Is there a path to twelve and zero? Absolutely. If you set the over and under, I don't know what the Vegas over under is right now. Maybe one of you guys can look that up. But yep. if you set that at ten and a half, I'm hammering the under just because 
I show me that you can do it. Like sure. what you said, Mitch, what you laid out, it's not different from yeah. the teams that Kyle Whittingham has had in the past with the schedule since they joined the Pac-12. It's not any different, and they're not getting this huge influx of talent. They brought in six transfers. One of those guys was a linebacker from Florida. It's not like they are just bringing in like 16 five stars to suddenly wreck shop in the Pac-12. Right. I'm going to make sort of a point to sort of put a bow on this, but if we're talking about USC with the new first year coach and, you know, expectations, where are those? We're also going to have to talk about Oregon with Bonix. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, like we've said, there's not like this big scary monster in the Pac-12, but there hasn't been a big scary monster in the Pac-12 since what 2015 when Oregon was making a run to the playoff, like maybe when Washington was making their Cinderella I mean, run. Justin Herbert wasn't a slouch. I mean, but that's not. But that's great. still not like. There's not yeah, like an Alabama. There's not an yeah, Ohio State. What'd you say, Garrett? That's what I'm saying. They're winning games. They're winning plenty of games. And all you need is that last little step that gives them enough credibility to get to the playoff. And all you got to do, honestly, is show up and enough kids are going to start looking your way. But that last step is the hardest step to take in college football. It is much harder to go from 10 wins to 12 wins than it is to go from, I would say, even four to eight. Like, it it is extremely difficult. And what I'm saying is... Why not Utah though? Like, why why not Utah? Why not why us, you, Coach? Why not? Why would you pick Oregon to be the team to win the pack this year? Why would you pick USC to be the team to win? I'm I think you saying... got a lot better case for USC. I'm not saying that you're saying yeah. that they're going to win this. I'm just saying when you make the cases for everybody else, Utah's case is the least shaky. They're going to win the Pac-12 at ten and two or whatever, and they're going to go to the Rose Bowl and they're going to have a freaking awesome time in Pasadena probably beating up on the second place Big Ten team because they're going to be fired up to be there. And that second place Big Ten team is not going to be fired up to be there. And that's going to be an amazing season. What's up? Well, I was going to say, which I think we can get to who might be that second place team in the Big Ten in just a second. Finish up your your thought. And then uh, I've got Utah's win total. I love Utah. I am not trying to say that they need to know their place at all. I'm just saying the hype train on the playoff, just like it would have been if we were talking about Cincinnati making a playoff run last year, Very true. it would have been, people would have told us we were crazy. And I think, you know, Cincinnati probably gave a lot of teams hope. And I did look up Cincinnati's recruiting. You guys are absolutely right. I was, I stand corrected on that <laughs> point. That was, what, what a, the recruiting classes were very, very poor. Cincinnati and they ain't still... recruited nobody, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is this, you may be right. I may be crazy but it just might be a lunatic you're looking for. Thank you. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> and right. Garrett is done for the rest of the pod. He's dropped the mic. He's you guys later. Uh, Utah's win total, by the way, uh, according to points bet, and this was updated a week ago, eight and a half. So oh, give me the over. Like, yeah. Give it me sounds the over. Like is, over. Is sm- that seems low. If, if Okay. Just play, play devil's advocate. If Utah loses four games who are they losing to they're losing I'm, to florida they're i'm losing done to playing devil's Oregon. advocate i'm done playing devil's advocate for utah you guys can <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe i just don't i don't see four losses UCLA? yeah i don't either ucla is on the road but i i don't think they're losing to arizona state i don't know that many teams are losing to arizona state this year so, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway all right well i mean great 
Garrett, great job leading this off with Utah. I, I think I, I think you're right. I think that they're one of the perfect candidates for this because initially, and I told you guys this before we hit record, when I made the first list of teams that I thought we could you know, consider talking about, it was all blue bloods. Utah's not a blue blood, but I think that's what the beauty of this podcast is. It, it's the ability to look outside the box to dive deeper than just the Texases and the the USC's and the Nebraska's of the world. And those would have been very, very easy to talk about. I mean, Texas, you know, everyone proclaims that Texas is back every single year and they go five and seven or they go eight and four. Um, you know, we could have, we could have dived into that, but to me, a discussion over Utah and whether or not they can run the table, become a playoff team is far more interesting than every other radio show talking about Texas. And listen, and with that being said, though, Mitch, talk about the winningest program in college football history. Well, if I could add one more thing <laughs> just really quickly, because yeah. what I don't want to be is like an elitist. I, I am the furthest thing from a college football elitist. I want to expand the playoff. I want to give more teams a shot at that national championship, give more teams like Utah a shot and maybe even let them host a playoff game at altitude where yeah. a third place SEC team has to come in and win at Rice Eccles Stadium. How amazing would that be but just the reality of where we're at in college football right now the deck is stacked against utah unfortunately and i'm keeping your seat warm on the bandwagon you know what if they are i might be a little late to join that bandwagon but if we're sitting there in october and they're still undefeated i might have to swallow my pride and join you All right, well, on to the next team. And, uh, Garrett, as you alluded to, it is the Michigan Wolverines. Side note, did you guys know that Ohio State and Alabama are tied for second in all-time wins? Both programs have 942 wins. That Pretty is big. A crazy, like, only a lot of wins. stats. Yeah, um, Michigan, for those of you counting, have 976 wins. Um, so, obviously, the first natural question, will Jim Harbaugh see the 1,000th win in program history? Uh, something to consider over the next couple of years as both of you guys shake your heads. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, Michigan is in an interesting spot. They won the Big Ten for the first time under Jim Harbaugh last season in 2021. They make the playoff for the first time in program history and get thumped by Georgia in Miami. Um, the kind of the, the starter for all of this happens in the game. Michigan beats Ohio State for the first time under Jimmy. Uh, ending an eight-game skid against the yeah. Ohio State. Uh, maybe the, the the thing that gives Michigan fans still the most pause with Jim Harbaugh is his, uh, his, his record against rivals. He's now 4-8 and eight against Ohio State and Michigan State, and they've lost three straight now to Michigan State as well. Um, Jim Harbaugh also unceremoniously tried to bolt for the NFL – as soon as the regular the uh, the postseason was over, so Michigan's in a really interesting spot where they've accomplished more than they ever have in this last season under Harbaugh, but they also aren't necessarily. It doesn't feel like the program is is taking that next step. They have not experienced any sort of recruiting bump right now. They're thirty eighth uh, in the twenty twenty three recruiting services. Obviously, very, very early. But when you look at programs like Ohio State, like Michigan State, um, even like Notre Dame, who Marcus Freeman has come in and immediately lit the world on fire for Notre Dame, Jim Harbaugh is not – it doesn't feel like he's doing 
kind of those required steps. He's not following the Kirby smart model where things are improving year after year after year, where he's bringing in a top five recruiting class, six, seven straight seasons to build a juggernaut type program. They just lost CJ Carr, who was Lloyd Carr's grandson, Michigan royalty to South Bend. He, you know, 2024 quarterback commits to Notre Dame. So to yep. me, it feels like, gosh, you know, yeah, you made it as, as high as you ever have uh, in, in the playoff era at Michigan. But then it was such a letdown game. It wasn't ever competitive. Georgia blows you out on national television. And there's no really residual momentum from that playoff appearance where, you know, like I said, Harbaugh trying to go to the NFL, it literally stalled recruiting efforts on national signing day. Kids didn't know if he was staying with the program or going to the NFL. So, I don't know. I mean, what's what's y'all's read on on Michigan this year? It feels like they're a lot closer to disaster and, and teetering on the edge negatively than they are kind of falling forward into the next big thing. Harbaugh's a weird dude. Can we just agree? On that? Yeah, no, he's, like, he's different. Just some of his recruiting tactics at Michigan have been interesting to say the least, but you know, everything about Michigan's season last year just kind of felt magical and almost once in a lifetime. You know, even if you look at yeah. that Ohio State game, it's in the big house and it's snowing a couple days after Thanksgiving. Like, just you couldn't write a better script than that, you know? And Michigan, obviously proud tradition, proud program. They were ready to run Harbaugh out of town the last couple of years, obviously. And he did kind of save his job. And then he turns around and wants to flirt with the NFL. It just doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't seem like they're a program where everybody's moving in the same direction. A lot of times you hear about, you know, teams where or schools where the coach, the administration, the athletic director, the president, they're all locked in, zeroed in on the same goal. That's a big underrated part of being a championship program is having that lockstep union. I don't feel like from thousands of miles away, it just doesn't feel like Michigan has that. Are they happy they beat Ohio State finally? Yeah, absolutely. They get to brag about that for 365 days. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, like you like you said, Mitch, the residual effects of that have just not been very impressive so far. Yeah, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking the big issue here is really Harbaugh himself. I mean, not that he's the worst coach, but what is he doing? I mean, I, I have a couple of Michigan uh, fans that are friends of mine. And going into this season, he was on the hot seat. They did not like this guy. It was uh, not too uncommon to hear some four-letter words and then Harbaugh right afterwards. Uh, not a big fan of Harbaugh among their fan base. And then he has a really good season. Um, so that's nice. But then I guess he wants to leave, maybe ends up coming back. I think the reason he wants to leave is he knows his seat is still a little warm. If you're looking at this, I think that he needs a big season to ensure that he both has future value as a possible NFL coach, but also can keep his job for at least one more season if that doesn't figure itself out. It, imagine him losing again. Michigan State, this time at home. Um, this one, Ohio State on the road. Imagine him losing that game. You know, what if he drops a game to Penn State, Nebraska, Iowa? Like, what if he drops any of those games? This could get real ugly for Harbaugh, and he starts to lose a lot of his value as a coach. Well, and, you know, one of Harbaugh's best qualities when he was at Stanford 
And then in the NFL, is he's supposed to be this quarterback whisperer, right? He hasn't really gotten a ton out of his quarterbacks at Michigan. He's got Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy there right now. McNamara is, uh, Trey, you and I talked about, will be the starter. McCarthy missed all of spring ball um, with a shoulder injury. But at the same time, uh, McNamara got pulled from that playoff game because at times – not just in the playoff game, but throughout the regular season, Michigan's offense just stalled. They leaned on that defense almost an unhealthy amount. And I think you saw that in the Orange Bowl against Georgia, where, look, McNamara, talented kid, but just not able to get the Wolverine offense moving down the field. And so, you know, a lot of people think that J.J. McCarthy might be the future. He's more of a running quarterback than he is a pure passer. So then you start to look, at what are they doing, you know, to secure that next quarterback? Well, 2022 class, they didn't really do anything. They they finished ninth in the recruiting class. That's a composite ranking. 12th overall, according to 247. Quarterback Jaden Denegal from Apple Valley, California, just a three-star. Not an Elite 11 guy. Not one of the top echelon quarterbacks. And I think that might be kind of a signal to the rest of college football that, you know, hey – you know, Michigan, sure, they're always going to play defense. They've they've had a reputation for playing solid defense. But, guys, they cannot take the next step without an elite-level quarterback. I mean, you can say that about any program. And the fact that Harbaugh has, one, failed to develop anyone kind of notable that's been there. And then, two, it looks like he's almost struggling to recruit an elite quarterback now. Didn't get it done this last year. Does not have a quarterback recruit for 2023. As I mentioned, they just lost the top quarterback recruit in 2024. Uh, in and it looks Carr. like the, the five-star in Michigan is going to go down south to play. Either yeah, they need to keep Dante Dante Moore in state. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that quarterback issue is maybe a microcosm of some larger issues there that, that Harbaugh might just – I know he's a Michigan man, but he just might not be the guy that that keeps those high hopes, that keeps Michigan, you know, progressing up the rung – you know his his record against uh, rivals, Michigan State and Ohio State, four and eight now. It's not where you want it to be. So I, I think Michigan is really a shove away from falling back down the ladder. I think they're a lot closer to disaster than they are exceeding expectations. Yeah, and you look in that division; it is arguably it, it it's right there neck and neck with the SEC West in yeah. terms of the toughest division in college football. And you have um, Michigan State right across the way. Um, investing in their program, investing in their coach that they think can get them to the next level. And you have Penn State, who's not going anywhere uh, anytime soon with James Franklin, investing in James Franklin. So it doesn't get any easier for Michigan. And like you're saying, Mitch, the key is getting that quarterback on campus. And if all you're going to do to supplement your roster is go sign a three-star out of California, that guy may be awesome. He may be you know, the next three-star that proves the recruiting rankings wrong. The way more likely thing is, is he's a typical three-star quarterback that, yeah, he might catch lightning in a bottle. Zach Calzada was a three-star quarterback and he beat Alabama last year. That's awesome. Is he, you play that game nine more times. How many do you think he wins? Maybe one more? Maybe. Not a whole lot more. Maybe. A a three-star quarterback is capable of playing a perfect game and knocking off a juggernaut like in Ohio State, but you need that transcendent talent and Michigan's been recruiting fine. Like ninth is nothing to sneeze at, mm-hmm. but when your main rival that's standing in the way of you 
reaching that next level is recruiting top three every year just doesn't cut it. And it's, it's a numbers game at that point, And it's a talent game at that point. You've got Ohio state dipping down into Texas, dipping down into the South, dipping into California to get the guys they need. And they're doing a great job of it. Well, and the only thing I have left to say on Michigan is just the fact that they have to get it right quick, but they just lost a lot of talent in the draft. Yes, they just lost did. a lot of really, really good players and those are not easy guys to replace. And we we saw what happened when their stud defensive lineman got neutralized against Georgia. Uh, it was not competitive. Right. And so if they can neutralize those guys, if they can contain, I think they had their running back go to the draft as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you don't get the run game going. You don't have a good quarterback. You, you don't have a whole lot. And they need this thing right now. Like, even if they keep, you know, we said Dante Moore. If they get Dante Moore, that's great. That doesn't do anything next year. And they gotta they gotta win now. Yeah. And great you know, Harbaugh, his seat is not his seat is not cooled off. His seat is still pretty warm. No, great points. I mean, they lose three first round draft picks from that defense. Again, I said they leaned on that defense heavily last year. They're probably gonna have to do it again this year. And, you know, Michigan is is a program that, you know, annually recruits in the top, you know, twelve. Um, but that's not tr- historically the level good enough that we've seen it takes to win a national championship to be a top two team that makes it to you know the the final game of the season uh so michigan uh i'm not saying that you need to lower your expectations but i I don't know that you're going to meet and or exceed those expectations uh this season trey you've got uh, a choice of of your two teams where we go in here for uh, next team on the list I want to step away from the Power Five for a little bit, and I want to talk about the UTSA Roadrunners. So, if you weren't familiar, um, that is one of the most heartwarming stories of the 2021 college football season. The UTSA Roadrunners, little team that could, um, really just relying on Sincere McCormick, who if there was a group of five Heisman uh, trophy or something like that just for the group of five, probably between him and Bailey Zapp of Western Kentucky on who would take that, uh, take that trophy, but just an amazing story in 2021. They win 12 games. They go 12 and two. Their only blemish in the regular season was a loss in Denton to the North Texas mean green. Um, after they had already locked. Yeah. After they had already locked up the division the week before, um, they turn around the next week, they beat Bailey Zapp in Western Kentucky um, to win Conference USA. They do lose to San Diego State, but a really, really good San Diego State team in the Frisco Bowl. But just an amazing story. We're talking about a team that ha- has barely had a football program uh, for, I-, I think, last year might have been their 10th year. They definitely started their football program in the 2010s. And for them to already be winning conference championships is just astounding to me. I think, you know, we, you guys talked a lot about conference USA and where that league is at right now. Conference USA is a very entertaining and competitive league in two years. It's not going to be, but right now conference (laughs) USA has a lot of teams that can jump up and get you. And they've shown that they can knock off some big programs and UTSA until the last week of the season, ran the table. They also beat uh, Illinois at a conference in their first game. And they really turned a lot of heads and got a lot of attention. Jeff Trailer is really big on the San Antonio identity. His big thing is the 2-1-0 triangle of toughness. He wants to lock down 
that area and make it their home turf. So really similar to what we've seen other programs in Texas do. University of Houston, they love to lean into the identity of H-Town and uh, being Houston's college football team. We see SMU doing that in Dallas. TCU has done a great job of that in being Fort Worth's team. UTSA is really trying to hit home. Um, they are San Antonio's team. And San Antonio, kind of a, the forgotten big city of Texas almost. Like we, when you think of Texas, you probably think of Houston or Dallas or Austin. But San Antonio, actually bigger than Dallas. They have a rabid fan base. They've really captured that community. But it is right now just kind of a one-year wonder. So here's what I kind of want to look at with the Roadrunners and get you guys' thoughts on it. They obviously had a banner year in 2021. Hasn't really followed uh, in recruiting. They finished 73rd in 2022, and they're currently 77th in 2023. Now, they're not going to go sign a bunch of four- and five-star guys, but their goal is kind of to pick up there's a lot of talent down around San Antonio, and they've done a good job of picking that up and making those evaluations. They do return Frank Harris and um, a lot of talent on defense, but they do lose, like I said, Sincere McCormick. Uh, they lose their top offensive lineman, defensive lineman, linebacker, and cornerback going into uh, 2022. And guys, they start when with their schedule for 2022 it looks like one you would build on ncaa 14 when you're trying to get that small school <laughs> yeah. um, over the hump they start their uh, schedule for 2021 uh, 2022 their first three games are at home against houston the alamo dome will be rocking for that one they go to army and then they go right up by 35 to take on the texas longhorns now that Texas game, it is the week after Bama for Texas and the week right before they open Big 12 play for Texas Tech. So maybe there's a little bit of um, ignoring the little brother school um, Danger that zone. week for UTSA, but um, a tough, tough opening to the 2022 slate for Jeff Trailer and the boys. If if Trailer goes one and two, and that stretch, and I know that doesn't sound impressive at all, but if, if the UTSA goes one and two in that first three-game set, I'll be happy. Because absolutely, I think you can compete with Houston, but Houston's Houston may be the team that, that pulls a Cincinnati this season. They're loaded. Clayton Toon's back. Um, and then, I mean, it's hard to expect them to beat Texas, although, my goodness, if the Roadrunners pull that off, they will never let the Longhorns forget about it. That will be played on the hype video at the Alamo Dome for decades. For all time. Pull that off. So I mean, and then and then you're telling me, you know, the one win is going on the road to beat Army. Whew, that's that's tough. So one and two to start the season, I think would be would be great for Trailer and UTSA. You're right. I mean, he's building a great culture down there. They just got, uh, yes, they lose Sincere McCormick, but they get a transfer from Arkansas running back Trace uh, Traylon Smith coming in. So yeah. I-, I like what what Trailer's doing. Um, but you're right, man. That schedule is brutal to start the season, and then it's 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 truly like a you know if you trip out of the starting blocks, like can you ever get it back on the tracks type deal. Yeah, and I think that's the main concern for UTSA to have an encore. Now, if they, I think if they turn around and win seven or eight games, that's still a huge step in the right direction. Because sure. honestly, if you look at the schedule for last year, it wasn't the murderer's row, especially in the out-of-conference portion. That definitely helped them towards 12 wins. But 
if they could, if they could win seven or eight, I think they're moving in the right direction. What concerns me is a lot of times you see these teams at the G five level. They've built up for this one big year. They ride a transition, trans transformational. There's the word transformational talent like sincere McCormick, and they ride him to a lot of wins. And what usually happens, this is what intrigues me about UTSA. What usually happens is the coach rides that player, rides that team to a bigger job in the power five or um, somewhere else. And that's not what Jeff trailer did. He signed a 10 year extension um, and he's being paid $2.8 million a year, which when you compare that to guys at the bigger schools, doesn't sound like a ton, but that is a heck of an investment for the Roadrunners who don't even have an on-campus stadium. They play their games about 15 miles from their campus in downtown San Antonio. So I'm excited to see where he can lead this team. I think there's going to be a big gap in that next tier of programs now that Houston is moving to the Big 12 and UTSA will be moving to the American. I think there's a big opportunity for them to fill in a gap in kind of that next tier of Texas programs that can be really dangerous to the big boys. I, I agree. I agree. It'll be fun to watch what they do. I love that trailer is invested in that community. And I mean, the guy had offers. There's no doubt that he had offers to go elsewhere, but he does sign the extension. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's one of the fun things of being, you know, a, a podcast based here in Texas is we have so many teams to cover. You know, we, we've talked a lot about SMU, which is right next door. Um, and then obviously you've got, you know, the major powers in, in Texas and Texas A&M, Baylor and, and so on and so forth. Uh, Garrett, let's go back to you here. Uh, and, you know, we've we've covered one traditional power in Michigan. You've got another one. I think this is going to be more positive, though. Uh, am I right? Much more positive, yeah. And I think there's a little bit more agreement on this one than uh, my last one. But no, um, for me, I got Notre Dame. I got the Fighting Irish. Um, this team is right on the edge of being a really, really, really good program, right? They are right there at the top of almost elite, um, but they're not there. That's the fact of the matter. I looked this up and it actually surprised me. So going back in Notre Dame's schedule, right? If you go back the last 20 years, their biggest bowl game victory is the Citrus Bowl in 2017. Now that surprised me. I would have expected to see a Fiesta Bowl in there, a Rose Bowl in there, maybe a Cotton Bowl that they had won. Uh, Just doesn't play out that way. They've been in those games. They've lost some of those games to uh, bigger schools or, you know, maybe more, you know, power five schools, but you have to go back to get their last, I would say like a bigger bowl game win. You have to go back to 1993 when Lou Holtz coached them to a cotton bowl win. Um, it's been a while since they've won a big bowl game. And I think a lot of people there are going to tell you it's Brian Kelly's fault. Um, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's a hundred percent, but um, I think that's what a lot of the sentiment is, at least in South Bend. And they are saying that, you know, Marcus Freeman, he's their guy. He's going to change everything. He's going to take them over the top. And I'm waiting to see on that one. Um, I think that there's a really good chance he could do that. Um, obviously, their issue has been getting on the biggest stage, right? They're an independent, so they'll have a really good year and then get left out of the playoff. Or, you know, they'll have maybe a little bit of a falter and we're going to give it to a conference champion instead. But even when they get there, they still kind of get slacked by some of the bigger programs. And I think even Notre Dame fans would admit when they've gotten to the big stage, they haven't performed where they need to. 
right now, Freeman is recruiting on hype. He's recruiting on interpersonal skills and he's bringing a lot of talent in that only lasts so long. You can't ride that forever. If they have a great first year, win a New Year's Six game, something like that, they're going to return to the top. They're going to be able to do this on a yearly basis. If they have a rough start, I think there could be some saying that they were a little bit foolish letting Brian Kelly get away. Yeah, and I think... Go ahead, Mitch. Uh, No, I I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think if they have a rough start, you're going to have those naysayers. Uh, I don't, I mean, Trey, am I, am I wrong? I don't know that a lot of people are unhappy with the way things have worked out. I mean, I, I, I don't know the Notre Dame fan base super well. I know they were kind of not thinking that Brian Kelly was necessarily the guy to get them all the way to where they want to be. I know a lot of people are happy that Marcus Freeman is in charge now, but I think the main thing that always sticks out to anybody I think that watches Notre Dame critically is we highlighted this on our head coaching hires episode when they play a team from down south or from a team or play a team that is way more athletic than them I think you're going to see this week one when they play Ohio State and all the athletes that they have Notre Dame just looks like they're playing on a different speed they look like they're playing on a different video game level than Mm -hmm. the other team and Marcus Freeman I think might be the guy to fix that a little bit. You just look, they are recruiting, they're number one ranked in recruiting for 2023. They'll be Marcus Freeman's first full class. And just going through the names, they're dipping down into the talent pools that teams like Ohio State, teams like Alabama, teams like Georgia have thrived off of. So they've got, you know, Keon Keeley, a guy, an edge from Tampa, Florida. They're recruiting Texas. They're dipping down into North Carolina and Maryland and trying to be more, national Notre Dame was always recruiting nationally but it seemed like they weren't in on those top guys those top athletes from the south if they can start flipping and winning those battles look out you're gonna have a Notre Dame similar to the one in um the era where they were challenging for national titles every year and they were the most relevant program in college football so there's a huge ceiling for Notre Dame we haven't seen that in 30 years but if they're able to tap into that potential, then they're right back where they were, I think. For me, I think I just need to see them win that big game, right? Kind of like, Trey, like what you were saying about Utah, I need to see them do it. They've been there so many times. They've been on the doorstep so many times. And under Brian Kelly, there was nothing... I mean, I'm literally applying your Utah take to Notre Dame. Under Brian Kelly, there was nothing that made me think, yeah, Notre Dame will take that next step. They'll be able to win uh, a playoff game. They will be able to knock off an Alabama, a Georgia, whoever, on the highest stage because we just didn't see it. Not only didn't we see it, a lot of the times it wasn't even close, right? I mean, they were getting blown out by these athletic super teams uh, like you know the Clemsons and Alabamas. I'll throw it back to you guys here. You look at this 2022 schedule, and yeah, they open – at Ohio Stadium, playing the Buckeyes. They take on the Tar Heels on the road. They take on BYU in Las Vegas. Um, they play Clemson at home. They've got Navy on the schedule, and then USC on the road again to end this regular season. This seems like a really difficult schedule for a year one coach with the expectations that Notre Dame will have, plus a new quarterback that will be under center. 
Um, no longer is Ian Chapter there. Um, you know, I mean, the, the Jack Cohn experience was fine, I guess. Um, but, you know, now they've got to figure out who their new signal caller is, is going to be. I mean, where, where are we leaning here with Notre Dame? Do we think that they're taking the next step this year or maybe not quite yet? I think the big thing for them is they're going to lose too many games to make the playoff. That's just, I think, looking across their schedule, yeah. there's probably two losses on there. But if they can make enough statement wins, this will keep it rolling, right? They just need to see that they can win the big game. Let's say that they go, they lose to Ohio State. That would be a crusher, right? That's, I think we both, or I guess we all probably agree that that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, probably. You know, UNC, that's a winnable game for them that, you know, has some, you know, could provide some clout there. BYU could provide some clout. Let's say they go beat Clemson in November. That could be a big one for them. To kind of say, hey, look, we beat Clemson. We can do this, right? Or even USC at the end of the year. Like, they probably lose a mix of those games. But if they win enough of those games, they're going to make a statement. They can go in, win a bigger bowl game, and roll in the next cycle and say, hey, look, we just got a big class. We're going to bring in a lot more talent. And now we can compete with a little bit easier schedule and be at that highest level. That That's my point. Is I don't think that they're in as much of a rush as we were talking about with Michigan. You know, or they got to win now, or it's, you know, hot seat galore. But they have to start proving to both recruits and to their fan base that they can win the bigger games against the bigger opponents and the the prime time and the, you know, five-star athletes and all of that. They have to be able to beat those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if Notre Dame goes, let's just say they go 9-3 and three this year, and maybe they lose, they lose to Ohio State week one, they drop one to... Um, BYU or USC and Clemson, but they win one of those BYU and USC games. They go nine and three. They go to the Cotton Bowl and beat a nine and three SEC team. Do you think the Notre Dame fan base is more excited about that than um, maybe going eleven and one or twelve and zero and then getting thumped in the playoff? Because I think they might be. I think oh, yeah. that no, I think that are... just getting that win and getting that monkey off their back in a New Year's Six bowl game. Even if the regular season isn't as good, I think just ending the season with that good taste in their mouth might be might be more exciting to the Notre Dame fan base that's just really itching and they can see that as something to build on rather than, oh wow, we got here, but we are not prepared for this stage and we don't know who's going to build us to get to that stage. Uh, yep. Notre Dame fans write in because uh, that is an interesting question. I, I would I would still maybe lean the other way. Just I, I mean, I guess if you know you're going to lose in the college football playoff, then sure, maybe you go the nine and three route. But, you know, eventually you knock on the door so many times, eventually it opens. Right. I mean, it, it just feels like this run of improbable high stakes losses not improbable, but consistently losing at the highest level right. eventually wears off. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame fans, let us know uh, which scenario there that Trey just outlined you would you would rather find yourselves in, and, and, and let us know what you think Notre Dame is going to go this season. You know, personally, I think uh, a loss to the Buckeyes. I think they lose to uh, maybe Clemson. Uh, I, I think it's a three-loss season. I think whether you lose to Ohio State, uh, BYU, or Clemson, and then maybe USC, I, I think there's three losses in there. But you know, ten and two, maybe an eleven and one, dude. I think eleven and one, and Notre Dame's in the playoff. 
I mean, that's, yeah, that's if they go 11 and one on yeah, if they go 11 and one on that schedule and it's yeah. 11 wins in a row after losing to Ohio State week one, put them in. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Notre Dame, it seems like maybe if this season isn't the best, it certainly seems like your program trending in the right direction. So, uh, high hopes there for the Fighting Irish, and I love love Marcus Freeman. We we have been very positive and, and supportive of that Marcus Freeman hire. Uh, my other submission is the Clemson Tigers, uh, and I, I'm certainly not alone in this belief that Clemson is a shove away from falling back to an eight and four, nine and three team. Now it may not be as bad as that, but. The sun appears to be setting on the championship run, the dynasty that Clemson has been on in the last several years, right? Going back to winning two titles, to having this run of elite quarterback play, always being to count, uh, being able to count on that Clemson defense. Uh, that came to a screeching halt last season. DJU, uh, DJU Ayungalele was awful. To put it mildly, he just could not be consistent throwing the football. Had some turnover issues. That defense was just not as elite as we're used to seeing it. Uh, And it resulted in an underperforming season. There's no other way to put it. It was a disappointing campaign for the Clemson Tigers. Now in 2022, Clemson saw a little bit of a reduction in uh, recruiting power. They weren't one of the national favorites uh, last season, as, as far as that goes. This year, they're off to a, a solid run recruiting, right? I, I'm not going to say that they're not recruiting well um, to start 2023, but there's still this sentiment that it, it might not be as elite as it's been in the last couple of years. And, and we can get into their schedule here in, in just a second as well, but you know, you combine that with what the rest of the ACC is doing, NC State, Wake Forest, Miami, all in hot pursuit of being that next top dog in the conference, feels like the Tigers' grip on the conference is, is slipping just a little bit. Yeah, it, it's slipping for sure, but I'm not ready to pronounce them dead just yet. I, I think, Mitch, you and I talked on the quarterback episode this is a big year for Dabo because yep. of the quarterback battle that's going to happen. If they drop a couple games early, you're absolutely going to see Cade Klubnick take a lot of snaps for the Tigers this year. Yeah. And, you know, I, I what I kind of compare this to, as you're saying it, is Oklahoma last year. You know, you, you have the highly touted guy in Spencer Rattler who just isn't getting it done. And then they put in Caleb Williams, and it's a revelation. And now coaching changes notwithstanding no one at the end of the year before Lincoln Riley was really questioning Oklahoma's dominance. Yeah. They took a step back, but um, they were still building for the future. I think Clemson's step back year was last year. Absolutely. They did take a step back from where their standards had been set. And this is a big year for Dabo to prove that that was just a one-off year. And it's all going to ride on if he rides DJU into the ground or if he's willing to put in Kate Klubnick and um, have him take over if DJU's struggling again. I think we'll see Kate Klubnick start probably the last six or seven games of this year for Clemson. I mentioned that on the uh, QB show. 
I think he's going to right the ship. I think I really believe in the talent of Cade Klubnik. If you look at how Clemson built their dynasty, their mini dynasty in the ACC, it wasn't around signing the top five classes. I think they only signed maybe one or two top five classes in that whole time. They had a lot of um, 16, 10, 8 ranked classes, which are not bad, but they weren't signing the type of class that an Alabama or Ohio State signed. They were winning with transcendent quarterback play and transcendent uh, D-line play and really hitting home on those two positions. If they get the transcendent quarterback back in Cade Klubnik, then all bets are off. They could run the table in the ACC and be right back in the playoff. But if that's a miss in evaluation, if Cade Klubnik isn't the next best thing, I think you do start to see that slide back. And it's simply because they're not getting the quarterback play they were getting with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and I mean, how fast can the new coordinators jump on, get it right, with teams like Miami and Wake Forest having a great year last year, like you were saying? You know, I'm even saying you got a lot of new coaches in that conference who, you know, who knows who's going to be a revelation or who's got the right answer this year, right? You could see maybe a Mike Elko at Duke coming up with something that's really hot and giving them problems. You could, I mean, you could see a lot of different things happening where if these new coordinators aren't ready – it could be really bad. Now, if they're great and you just reload, it could be the kind of, you know, refreshing change of scenery that the team needed to get back where it was going. Uh, but this could, you know, this could go poorly, which is, I guess, why they're on the edge, right? They're right on the edge where a, a big shove and maybe Dabo's not the guy we thought he was. Maybe the coordinators, they're not too good. And then people stop showing up to Clemson because other teams are just a little more exciting at the time. I, you know, Trey, you're you're not too far off base with the recruiting. They they certainly had some top ten and even top five recruiting classes. But to your point, when they were building a national championship contender for the first time, it was a lot of top fifteen, top twenty classes. So you're right. Dabo has gotten the most out of uh, his program, certainly compared to you know, other programs with even better talent. I look at their schedule um, and, you know, Trey, like you said, we talked about this earlier. The first challenge will be Wake Forest uh, week four of the season, September 24th. That's on the road. They then play NC State, who beat them at their place last season. And, you know, it certainly feels like Devin Leary is the top quarterback in the ACC, or at least one of the top quarterbacks. He's better than DJU, that's for sure. So NC State will have the quarterback advantage there. You know, then it's it's not landmine games awaiting Notre Dame. They get Notre Dame fresh off a of bye week, so that'll certainly help, but you know, Boston College at Chestnut Hill, like that's kind of a weird place to play. They've had trouble there before. They go on the road to Florida State. If Florida State's dangerous, who knows what happens there with, you know, potentially an offense that's not firing on all cylinders. And then, you know, they've, they've got to play the orange. Now it's not in the dome, but, you know, Syracuse <laughs> has been a landmine teams for some powers in the ACC before. So there's just enough you know, potential trip ups for Clemson that I do worry about, you know, getting off to a slow start on when do they make the decision to pull the trigger switching quarterbacks? Cause right now I, I just think that Cade Klubnick is the better quarterback. I mean, I just didn't see anything from DJU. He had that great game against Notre Dame when they barely lost, but then his first full season starting, 
you know, last year without Trevor Lawrence, it was, it was a tough scene. So, you know, they finished 10th in the recruiting ranks last year in the composite 14th, according to two, four, seven. So maybe starting to see a little bit of a, of recruiting slippage there after a fifth ranked class, after a third ranked class the year before that, just a lot of unknowns, a lot of questions. And it feels like finally for the first time in recent memory, the ACC is raising its level of competition to meet Clemson as opposed to Clemson kind of lifting and and separating, right? As the rest of the conference maybe falls back to earth, maybe, you know, even underachieves and Clemson is able to, to move up the rankings very, very quickly. Now it feels like that is a much more competitive scene. And, you know, in that classic, you know, Clemson versus the field debate, if you were giving me the odds, give me the field. I do not trust Clemson this year at all. So, you know, that's, that's my case. I, I, I think, could they be a very, very solid team this year? Yeah. Do I think that they're a, a playoff team? Oh, no, definitely not. Uh, I just – I don't see – unless they surprise folks and they, you know, they, they outlast NC State, they find a way to beat Notre Dame on the road. If they can withstand an assault from Miami, you know, who knows what you get from Louisville and South Carolina too down the stretch. I mean, right. South Carolina could be really dangerous. By the end of the season, if Clemson is – had a loss or two, I mean, I'm certainly not counting the Gamecocks out in a rivalry situation. And they have to play them right after Miami as well. Yeah, You know, let's say that they play a really tough, emotionally draining game with Miami. They might go into their game against South Carolina kind of limping. And in a rivalry game, that's not what you want to come in doing. And so could you imagine, I mean, losing maybe those last two games of the season, maybe you get a bowl game you're not thrilled about. But that's kind of the taste you leave right. in the fans' mouths and the team's mouth, kind of going on the way out the door. It, it could spell trouble for Clemson. Yeah. So yeah, Clemson, and they're right on the edge. I, I would make the anti-Utah argument. I guess just one last thing about Clemson is we do have a lot of teams that are trying to take that uh, top spot from them. Obviously, Pitt jumped up with great quarterback and wide receiver play last year. No one's really proven that they can consistently be up there just yet. So maybe the maybe the thoughts of Clemson's demise are a little exaggerated, but <laughs> I, I do think there there's strength in numbers there too. There are enough teams that could trip them up. In the years past, it was maybe one game that they had to circle on the calendar, right? That maybe they're playing Notre Dame that year. Maybe they have Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Maybe they have a Jimbo Fisher-led Florida State team, but that one game was maybe the main hurdle. Now there's mm-hmm. lower hurdles. There's not the secondary top team with them, but there's more of those lower hurdles to get over, and maybe they trip up a couple times. So not ready to write them off completely just yet. Would I be surprised if they made the playoffs this year? Yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. But they could still win 10 games and have a solid season, even if it's not what they've set the standard at recently. That Clemson over under, by the way, according to points bet, ten and a half. So that, according to what it's we're nasty. talking about, is maybe the perfect figure, right um, where I would put it. Yeah, I, I, I would too. Give me the under there if I'm laying a little harder in American currency on it. But uh, anyway, that's that's Clemson. You, Trey, are taking us and wrapping us up here um, with an SEC team, a team that just secured their head coach for the next several years. You're calling the hogs over there. Arkansas is our final team on the list. Woo pig. Um, let's talk about the hogs. So 
wrapping it up here, Arkansas last year was the breakthrough year for Sam Pittman, and uh, it was the best year they had since 2011 when uh, Coach Petrino was roaming the sidelines right before everything kind of fell apart um, in that offseason. So they go 9-4. and four. They um, surprise a lot of teams in the SEC West. They beat A&M for the first time since A&M's joined the conference. Um, they knock off Texas in a big non-conference matchup with the whole country riding, or country watching. And they're really competitive even in their losses. They did have kind of a what-the-heck-happened game at home against Auburn. But on the road against Ole Miss and on the road against Alabama, they lose those two games by a combined eight points. Obviously, that Ole Miss game was an absolute thriller in Oxford, 52-51. And... They pushed Alabama to the brink, losing by just a touchdown. So moving into 2022, Sam Pittman has the world on the string in Fayetteville. He can do no wrong. We've seen Arkansas kind of in this position before, though, a couple times in the last decade. It's really going to be interesting to see how the Hogs handle this success. Because the last two times, obviously, they can't control that their coach got mired in a scandal with Coach Petrino. Maybe they someone could have blown a whistle quicker but the last time that they had success with brett bielema he was winning games he was getting them slowly building a program and then he has a couple down seasons and they decide they want to just completely switch offensive schemes from the power run game to the air raid with chad morris and chad morris turned them into a laughing stock so let's see how they handle this little bit of success i think this season will be really crucial for them so Coming in, they did hit the portal hard. They have KJ Jefferson back at quarterback. That's going to give them a lot of fighting chance in pretty much every game on their schedule. They did have an old team last year, though, and they lost a lot of seniors. They lost Traylon Burks to the draft, who really made their offense go. Um, Bumper Pool is in like his 10th year of eligibility leading the defense. And <laughs> um, they're recruiting really well. They, they finished 22nd in 2022, which... When you compare to some of the other powers in the SEC West, doesn't sound great, but that's a really big win for Arkansas. And they're currently eighth in 2023. So there's a lot of optimism about the future. Can they get over that hump, though? It, it, it's the SEC West is always going to be difficult. I think they have a good shot to go four and zero in non-conference this year, but it's going to be tricky. Um, they they don't play a Power Five team out of conference, but. They play probably the two toughest G5 teams or two two or three of the top 10 toughest G5 teams. Um, they open the season with Cincinnati at home. They travel to BYU um, later on in uh, in the middle of the season. Brilliant. And they, they host Liberty uh, in the kind of joked about bye week for the SEC at the end of November. Not a bye week for them this year. Mm. They host Liberty. No, with, not a gimme. Yeah, who is going to be coming in uh, – Obviously, they've had a lot of success the last couple of years. So a sneaky, tough out-of-conference schedule, if they can handle that. The SEC schedule, obviously, for an SEC West, an SEC West schedule is always going to be difficult, but they do get probably their toughest uh, three. Two of their toughest three games are at home with Alabama and Ole Miss. They, of course, get AM at Jerry World. They don't have to travel to Kyle Field. They also get LSU at home. So yeah. toughest road game in conference is probably at Auburn. Um, and I don't think Auburn's really scaring a lot of people this year. So 
lots of potential for the Hogs. They're kind of that trendy pick to be the second best team in the SEC West. I think a lot of that is going to depend more on those other teams. I think whether or not Arkansas finishes second is going to have more to do with if A&M can get their quarterback situation together and if Ole Miss can uh, get their quarterback situation together. If um, Jackson Dart lights the world on fire in Oxford, I don't think you're seeing Arkansas finish second. But if they could build on last year a little bit, maybe improve from eight regular season wins to nine, I think you're still really, really excited in Fayetteville. Uh, So... You're right. The trendy pick has been that Arkansas goes 10-2, and 9-3, finishes second in the SEC West. Listen, I'm not hating on the Hogs. Well, maybe I am a little bit. K.J. Jefferson, he, he gets reviewed as, as the second-best quarterback in the league behind Bryce Young. And, guys, am I missing something? I don't see it at all. He has, a lot, he has a lot of potential. I think he could yeah. get there. What, what, to say preseason 2022 that he's the second best quarterback in the sec i think is maybe more of an indictment on the lack of quarterback talent and just putting him up there i i think uh will levis would have something to say about that but he's top five for sure in the conference and top five proven at least we we see a lot of young one game proven guys yeah Yeah. he's he's won games and he's gotten arkansas to the most successful season so i don't think it's ludicrous I think that's more of an indictment on the lack of proven quarterback talent in the SEC. And Arkansas could capitalize on that this year. Like if A&M doesn't find a starting quarterback that can move them down the field consistently, we saw that happen live on TV last year when these two teams played. If Jackson Dart isn't it for Ole Miss, we KJ yeah. Jefferson could lead them to a victory at home against Ole Miss. Absolutely. And you're looking at a 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one Arkansas. So we live in a world where Arkansas could absolutely be the second best team in the West. I think it would be more, I think it would say more about the lack of depth in that division. If Arkansas is the second best, then Arkansas actually being, you know, a top 10 team in the country. Well, I think Arkansas's big issue is they don't have the best coach in the conference. the, The coach is very good. He's a very good coach. If you're looking around your you know, mates in the in the SEC West, you're talking about Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly. You're talking about Lane Kiffin. Uh, gosh, Lane Kiffin. You got Mike Leach. Gosh, Mike Leach, and so, so you're you're talking about these guys. And I mean, he's a good coach. He's definitely a good coach. But I mean, any of those given Saturdays, is he going to get out coached by one of those guys? He has to put on a spectacular coaching effort every single week to compensate for the fact that he's not going to have as talented a roster as some of these teams. I mean, he lost a lot of talent. He did. And I'm curious to see how Jefferson does without Burks. I really am curious to see how he does yeah. without him as kind of a, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, effort. He's down there somewhere, right? He, th- that's that's kind of been some of what they've done with their offenses, get the ball to Burks and just let him see what happens. To me, he's kind of a he, – he reminds me stylistically of a Tim Tebow or a Cam Newton. He's just coming, I think, 10, 12 years too late for this league. I think <laughs> people have figured out how to cover and how to play defense on a mobile quarterback who's kind of a big-bodied, can-do-his-thing. 
and now he has to bail himself out with his arm. He's got a good arm, but it's more about can he have a, a good decision-making, get it to the playmakers that you have still on the roster, and, and do that week in and week out through the SEC West. Uh, that combined with the coaching disadvantage again he's a great coach but i think it's still a disadvantage against some of those teams and i don't know that he can do that Jaden hazelwood does join arkansas i will say they do have an immediate different style player but an immediate go-to in Jaden hazelwood go ahead sure yeah they they did a lot of good work in the portal um this offseason and again i think the thing that helped arkansas a lot last year is they were an old team they're going to be an old team again this year. I think a lot of people looked at Arkansas like, wow, they've got a lot of 21 and 22 year old dudes running around out there that have played a lot of college football. And that's not changing, even though they did lose a lot of those guys because of that work they did in the portal. Um, the schedule really doesn't do them any favors. Just looking mm-hmm. at this a little bit more closely. Um, I do think they start three and Um, It won't be an easy three and but they do yeah, get Cincinnati. They get Cincinnati and South Carolina at home. I think who knows what Spencer Rattler is going to do at South Carolina, but I think I give the edge to the hogs in those well, two since games. He's got to replace uh, a quarterback, the top receivers. They've got to replace their top cornerbacks running. Yeah. Back. a lot. Yeah. I, I could believe three and to start. I, I think, I think it's not an easy three, and but I do think they get to three, and know that next stretch of games though. Uh, A&M and Jerry World, they've won that game one time since A&M got to it. And I think A&M's excuse from last year is that, you know, the quarterback situation was a mess. They have Alabama at home, and then they go back-to-back-to-back with a bye week sprinkled in, but back-to-back-to-back at Mississippi State, at BYU, and at Auburn before finishing with Liberty, LSU, and Ole Miss, and then a trip to Missouri. That is a brutal middle of the season schedule so if they can survive that then maybe i don't know what i'm talking about with them not being a real top 10 team because that is an absolutely brutal schedule in the middle there Um, i can get them to nine wins i I can get them to nine wins but i think you know losses to a&m to alabama and then to byu or ole miss i don't i don't see how you're just glossing over that if you're you know in favor, if you're a Hogs fan, if you're you know pro Arkansas, like to me, I haven't seen KJ Jefferson be enough of a game changer to take that next step to get Arkansas to a double digit win total and to compete with Alabama for an SEC West crown. Now, I mean, they could go ten and two and, and not even you know be close to challenging Alabama for that SEC West throne, but. I mean that. Yeah, you're right. That middle schedule, that buy. I will say the buy is kind of perfectly placed. Yeah, in the middle of Murderer's Row. But yeah, I mean, look. You, you know, if you do drop to A and M and then to Alabama, congratulations. Your reward is on the road at Stark Vegas and then out to Provo. Things yeah. Yeah. things could be ten and two and in sunshine and daisies. You could also see things go sideways very quickly in Fayetteville. Yeah, and I think. You know, looking at last year, they were six and one at home and one and three away from uh, Fayetteville slash uh, uh, Little Rock. Yeah. And, um, you know, we I talked about how close their losses were. They also barely beat Mississippi State at home and needed overtime to beat a poor LSU team last year. 
that I already knew their coach was getting fired. So rivalry game though, rivalry game, rivalry game, absolutely. Sure. But um, sixteen thirteen, a game that the offense really didn't show up. At, they were just as close. You know, we, you could say they were extremely close to going ten and two. They were just as close to going seven and five. So yeah. Yeah. literally, a team that could teeter either way. Um, I think I lean um, more towards them taking a slight step back this year. I think they'll pick up wins probably against the Auburns and Mississippi States of the world and hopefully find a way to win all their non-conference games. But then you're looking at the rest of that schedule is just really, really tricky. And you've got to pick up a team, a win against a team that's definitely more talented than you right now. And you're going to need KJ Jefferson to be a dude uh, to win one of those last four games. I think yeah. Vegas is is leaning more towards kind of the latter of our scenarios. Their win total is seven and a half over under. So you know, I mean, that seems a tough line. That seems I was gonna say it seems a little bit low, but I think that's Vegas saying, "Hey, things could get ugly in a in a hurry because of how tough that schedule is." I, I think they're probably an eight and four, nine and three team, much more than I'll believe they're a ten and two, eleven and one team, but. That's the beautiful thing about college football, gentlemen. You got to play the game on Saturdays, and uh, yeah, they they could certainly if if Sam Pittman is able to do go ten and two, what a statement for Arkansas. That's when you're going to see sure. recruiting really start to pop up. The the one like disclaimer that I have about Arkansas being eighth in the recruiting ranks right now, three of those guys are tight ends, um, and <laughs> I, bold I strategy. Mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, all right, well, at some point. Do we have Brett Belima recruiting we need, this class? <laughs> Exactly. At some point, we're not just running the power eye here. We we need some skill players. But, um, sure. you know, our, Arkansas has always been very strong in the trenches. They get the most out of their guys on both sides of the football. Um, when it comes to the offensive and defensive line, you know, you had a guy in John Ridgeway who got drafted to the Dallas Cowboys. Like, the first thing that he said was, I'm ready to come to Dallas and break necks. Like, you know, that's that's the kind of – personality that the Razorbacks you know want to foster and I think that's why they can be competitive is hey you got to win at the point of attack that's what I think teams like USC and and Texas have not done and I don't know that they will do this year Um, whereas a team with less talent like Arkansas might be able to compete at the highest level because they do win in the trenches so anyway fellas uh, I mean this has been a great podcast we're I think this is the longest running podcast we've had uh, those sure. are our six teams uh, that, you know, for better or for worse, we think that there are some high expectations on. Again, that's Utah, Notre Dame, Michigan, Clemson, UTSA, and Arkansas. Write in. Let us know what you think. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 3TechPod. You can also write in to the show through the Gmail, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Um, we'll see. Uh, I'm so excited to get to preview season here in just a couple of weeks. You know, all of these – all of these scenarios, all of these off-season podcasts, we're kind of alluding to where we think these teams are going to be in the state of the program and, and, and you know, looking at the schedule. But I'm so excited to dive into the actual schedule previews uh, and the conference previews as well. Uh, that will be coming basically in a month's time. So we are we are right around the corner before we, we start all of that. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody. 